Hello, I'm John Cameron, and welcome to Musicology. And how many songs are in the Dangerous album? On the album itself? Yes, sir. I think 17. And how many songs did you write for the Dangerous album that were not released to the public? I think 70 songs. I remember reading on a music forum once, Michael Jackson was only as good as the producers he worked with. While that statement could be easily dismissed with a rundown of Jackson's compositional process, this episode is all about collaboration. A handful of producers all competing to find their spot on the new Michael Jackson album that would become known as Dangerous and sell almost 30 million copies. After the unparalleled success of the Off The Wall, Thriller and Bad albums, Michael broke away from producer Quincy Jones in order to establish himself as his own artist. He did continue to work with his own team from the pre-Quincy Bad sessions, most notably Matt Forager and Bill Bertrell, the latter of which had just completed his work on Madonna's Like A Prayer album. With his first three albums as an adult artist containing a majority of songs that would become hits as singles, it was time to put together Jackson's first greatest hits album, commemorating the ten years since the release of Off The Wall. The Decade compilation was conceived. The collection was to feature 17 of Michael's currently released 29 solo tracks, along with two from the Jackson's era, two rarities, two re-recordings of Jackson 5 tracks, and potentially some new recordings. Just call my name and I'll be there. While the deadline was nearing by the time a configuration was put together, songs continued to get recorded. During that latter of 1989, Michael would routinely drive to the Westlake studio to hear what his producers had come up with. One of the earliest tracks that was worked on would go on to become one of the biggest in Jackson's career and in the history of music. Armed with a Lynn 9000 drum and one of his many classic American guitars, Bill Petrell had this prepared. Bear in mind that this was one of the first tracks produced in what would become the Dangerous Album Sessions. While what we're listening to isn't the exact original 1989 version, other flourishes would later be added including a bass synth played by another current producer on the project, Brian Lorraine, but we'll get to him soon. 
With such a memorable guitar riff running throughout, it's easy not to notice just how percussive the track is and miss some of the amazing rhythms embedded throughout. They bring my message in the side of the sun I had to tell them I ain't second to none And I told about equality And it's true either you're wrong or you're right There isn't some great rock up in the mix. I am tired of this devil. I am tired of this stuff. I ain't tired of this belly. Go when they go and get around. I ain't scared of your brother. I ain't scared of no sheets. I ain't scared of nobody. Go when you sleep again, me. The recent contentiously perceived profile of Michael, a black man becoming what many regarded as uncomfortably white, something that at this time had not been addressed by Jackson himself. Along with his love of cultural blends and experiences with racism, he wrote the lyrics and recorded only a scratch vocal. That vocal track is what we hear on the album. While Black or White would see its way onto the album, there would also be another very close contender from Betrayal. If I went to bed at night and I thought, oh my god, Quincy Jones is not producing Michael and I am, maybe I would have a little twinge, but me and Michael were very tight. We sat for a year and a half making music and making tracks. Taken off of one of the final configurations of Dangerous, Too Much Funky Business fitted right in with the songs that, in an alternate timeline, would have surrounded it. While not quite in the new Jack Swing genre that would dominate Michael's sound during this period, it does feature some early affectations of hard mechanical-like drums with a minimalist instrumental melody. Many in the crew working on the album expressed surprise when it didn't make the final cut. Not too far off of the rhythms that Betrayal was creating, 
In the next studio, young producer and singer Brian Loren was working on a song that would become legend among Michael Jackson fans, Man in Black. Loren was recruited to the project to create sounds similar to Janet Jackson, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis's achievements on Rhythm Nation. At this stage of production, it was mostly instrumental with vocal pieces throughout. The more serious contenders from Brian would be worked on in the year that followed. Man in Black would become arguably the most sought-after unreleased track of Michael's, with so few having actually heard it for many years and so many different stories and descriptions circulating about it. This is the first time the song has ever been broadcast. Outside of the studio, a longtime collaborator, Steve Picaro, invited Michael to his home to record background vocals on a track he was demoing. By the end of the session, Michael fell in love with it and recorded his own lead. Despite appearing on the Thriller 25 album almost 20 years later, For All Time is an indisputable dangerous outtake, and also came very close to making it on the album, as apparent by its appearances on some early configuration. Somebody once said, it's the soul that matters, baby who can really tell when two hearts belong so well, and maybe the By November 1989, Michael became uncertain as to what tracks he wanted to include on the decade. So the compilation project was scrapped, and the idea for a completely new album was born.
Inspired by the danceability of his sister's rhythm nation, as well as experimenting with a more competitive atmosphere among his group of chosen producers, the tone was set for what would become two years worth of recording. In 1990, production had moved from Westlake Studios to Record One. During the bad sessions, Michael began work on what would become arguably his magnum opus. Planet Earth, my home, my place. A capricious anomaly in the sea of space. Planet Earth, are you just floating by a cloud of dust, a speck of matter in a mindless void, a lonely spaceship, a large asteroid? Originally, Michael envisioned a spoken word piece over an orchestral backing before the song was to start. Matt Forger worked on the original version with just a delicate piano and some quiet synths, matched with two stereo pairs of background vocals and a lead. By the time Bill Betrell got to it, it took its familiar shape. Did you ever stop to notice all the blood we shed before? Did you ever stop to notice this crying earth, this weeping show? While Michael had explored socially conscious things, What About Us, aka Earth Song, certainly seemed like it would be the first solo effort of this magnitude that he was willing to see all the way through. As evident by implementing the London Philharmonic Orchestra and the Andre Crouch Choir. While it didn't appear on Dangerous, it did on the album that followed, History, Past, Present and Future Book One, with a few vocal adjustments.
Though it wasn't released with its spoken word introduction, it was still eclectic enough that, if released by any other artist, one typically wouldn't expect commercial radio play. However, it stayed at number one on the UK singles charts for six weeks in 1996. Joining Michael's production team only a couple of years earlier, Betrayal was tasked to remix a track that had only just missed a spot on the bad album, Streetwalker, in 1988. Its pounding bassline and rhythmic structure was exactly the kind of dance music Jackson was looking for on this new project. Using the track's basic anatomy, Bill and Michael would create an early version of Dangerous. I gave the song to Billy and he fooled around with it with some drum sounds and he gave the tape back to me. of creating the skeletal version of what would become the album's title, Dangerous wasn't the only point of significance in Betrayal's contributions. Brad Buxer, former keyboardist for Stevie Wonder, was brought in to record. These sessions would establish a musical partnership that would last until Michael's passing two decades later. So when you were together, what, what was it? Was he singing and you sort of just playing along and you provided like that? It or? was all sorts of things. Uh, we did Who Is It? Uh, I came in and there was a drum track up and a bass and I figured out some chords with him, and, uh, you know, we did the chords, and then uh, we did some other lines and uh, musical parts to it. He, he has all the parts in his head, basically. He knew what he wanted to hear, and then when I played the right thing, he goes, that's it. She promised me in secret that she loved me for all time. It's a promise so untrue. Tell me what will I do? And it doesn't seem to matter, and it doesn't seem right. Judge of my composure, cause I'm lying to myself. And the reason why she left me, cause she finding someone else. 
I wrote a song on the Dangerous album called Who Is It? What I do is I go to a tape recorder and I put down the sounds the way I'm hearing it in my head. And I'm hearing the bass, I'm hearing the percussion, I'm hearing the drums, and the Who Is It? Like, it goes, um, I go to a tape recorder and I just put exactly what I'm hearing in my head down on tape. Back in Brian Lauren's studio, Michael seemed to be more involved with these later productions that Lorraine was turning out, in spite of them not packing the same punches, say, Betrayal's Monkey Business. While none of these productions made the album, there was a release of at least one hit. Yo! Hey, what's happening, dude? I'm a guy with a rep for being rude, terrorizing people wherever I go. It's not intentional, just keeping the flow. Fixing test scores to get the best scores, dropping banana peels all over the floor. Do the Bartman was released on the Simpsons Sing the Blues album later that year. The single went to number one in five countries. Although it wasn't just the Simpsons that were gifted with a song. Siegfried and Roy were a favourite of Michael's and his essential viewing whenever visiting Las Vegas. The Mind is the Magic would be given to them for use in their Vegas shows during the 90s. Bruce Wadian was Michael's go-to engineer. Becoming involved with the last three albums, along with Quincy Jones, Swadian and Michael would go on to produce some of the best-sounding music of all time. He's a maverick at what he does. Minimal compression and masterful mixing was exactly what those early albums needed. Despite the Dangerous album sounding more mechanical, as mastering engineer Bernie Grunman would later describe, Engineering aside, Bruce was also a very capable producer, along with his writing partner, Renee Moore. Experimenting together in the studio, they came up with several rough ideas, similar to this. What we're hearing is just a rough example of one of the instrumentals they came up with, titled Time Marches On. Michael would be inspired enough to revisit this rough track later on. Thank you, Mr. President-elect, for inviting me to your inauguration gala. I would like to take a moment from this very public ceremony to speak of something very personal. It concerns a dear friend of mine 
who is no longer with us. His name is Ryan White. He was a hemophiliac who was diagnosed with the AIDS virus when he was 11. He died shortly after turning 18, the very time most young people are beginning to explore life's wonderful possibilities. My friend Ryan was a very bright, very brave, and very normal young man who never wanted to be a symbol or a spokesperson for a deadly disease. Over the years, I've shared many silly, happy, and painful moments with Ryan, and I was with him at the end of his brief but eventful journey. Ryan is gone, and just as anyone who has lost a loved one to AIDS, I miss him deeply and constantly. He is gone, but I want his life to have meaning beyond his passing. It is my hope, President-elect Clinton, that you and your administration commit the resources needed to eliminate this awful disease that took my friend and ended so many promising lives before their time. This song is for you, Ryan. Buzz Cohen, who had previously collaborated with Michael on the E.T. storybook in 1982, sent him a videotape containing a montage of Jackson and Ryan White over a soundtrack of Dionne Warwick singing a song called Gone Too Soon, live for a television special. The track was originally written by Cohen and Larry Grossman. Michael fell in love with it, and after learning that no one had officially recorded it before, committed to making it his own tribute to Ryan, who had died earlier that year. Like a perfect flower That is just beyond your reach Towards the end of 1990, Brian Loren would give a magazine interview in which he discussed working on a new Michael Jackson project, revealing stories and songs that had occurred during the sessions. Loren was dismissed from the project shortly after. In 1991, Michael would continue to search for those dance tracks he craved. He approached Jam and Lewis, whom declined due to their collaborative relationship with his sister Janet. Instead, he went to the team that were typically regarded as their production competitors during the early 90s, L.A. Reid and Babyface.
During their initial meeting, Michael had delivered the same spiel he did upon meeting Brian Loren about how inspired he was by Janice the Knowledge. The three of them would eventually meet in the studio for a single song, Slave to the Rhythm. Despite the instrumental still in its bare-bones state, Michael would deliver a complete vocal performance, giving the song his all, which was becoming a rarity for a production at this stage. She dances in she said that she dances to his knees. She dances till he feels just right until he Ultimately, the track would never see the light of day until a remix leaked following his death and an eventual posthumous release. After a recommendation from former producer Quincy Jones, Michael reached out to Teddy Riley, filling in the spot left from Brian Loren. Michael's obsession with Janet's achievement on Rhythm Nation 1814 were, again, consistently expressed with one handwritten note remarking that a specific dance groove should be better than the knowledge. As a response, Teddy plays a digital audio tape, containing 12 instrumental tracks, the first being this. We got to play the demos. Played all my demos that I worked on in Q-Tip's room. And um, the first record I played was uh, Blood on the Dance Floor. Although still an instrumental at this stage, what would become Michael's concept for the song's lyrics was originally inspired by Bill Bottrell, who, while working on Streetwalker, informed Michael of a song called Blood on the Dance Floor, which he had just written. Before even hearing it, Michael wrote his own lyrics based purely on the title. Ultimately, it wouldn't be finished in time to make Dangerous, but it would find its place on its own self-titled remix album in 1997. The second instrumental on the DAT was a solidified hit, but not for Michael. Joy did make the cut throughout several configurations of the Dangerous album, but it was eventually gifted to Teddy Riley's band Blackstreet, for which it did become a hit. Michael's background vocals can still be heard in the mix. The second track was the Joy that we wound up giving to Blackstreet. That was a Michael track. 
he gave it to us because he didn't want to put it on that album, just like he held uh, Love on the Dance Floor and Ghost. And with one kiss, she set me free. She's given me joy, joy, joy. That girl, she brings me joy. She's given me joy, joy, joy. Remember the Time would prove to be a significant step to where Michael was heading, in the sound he wanted, while posing a few vocal challenges in the process. Do you remember when we fell in love? We were young and innocent then. Do you remember how it all began? It just seemed like heaven, so I did purpose of uh, him singing that low was I said you can't give everything away in the beginning so as you hear the song this is the perfect song escalation it's like you climb in the steps and you get to the top of the stairs and you get stuff and that's how he gets the the aggressiveness of that vocal on the beach and I can remember one time the anvil cases fell on Michael and all you heard was help 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 me Bruce Teddy I was like what happened this is Bruce I the anvil case fell on him again With this newfound musical partnership, Michael was keen to explore some other tracks that hadn't quite met their potential yet. I wasn't satisfied with it. To me, it wasn't contemporary enough. I had Teddy go in and kind of update the sound. contributed to the song, changing the sounds of things, the sound of the bass, the quality of the bass, the sounds of the drums, and this, he gave it a driving snare, where it had some anger in the snare, it gave more feeling and emotion, so we kind of shaped and molded and sculpted till I got what is on the Dangerous album. One of Bill Patrell's earliest contributions was passed on to Teddy. Bill wasn't territorial about it, later remarking that his mix was stuck in the 80s. While it's easy to compare the two and think that it was a complete overhaul, I'd disagree. 
revisions didn't stop there. Jam is the perfect accumulation of effort. It has the incomparable arrangement skills of Michael Jackson, the funk dance edge of Bruce Wadeen and Renee Moore, with the new jackbeats of Teddy Riley. Despite lacking Bill Bottrell's input, it's the perfect surmise of the Dangerous album and what made it great. Not everything during the Dangerous sessions went smoothly, such as what is arguably the most underrated song on the album. On the original recording, the music was in a higher key, which Michael, of course, had to accommodate. What we're hearing now isn't that version, but having heard the original, I would say for fans to imagine the song with a more Thriller-era-like vocal. Honestly, when I did hear this higher vocal take, I was amazed that Michael could still sing like that at this stage of his life. Well, it turned out my surprise was justified, because at one of the climaxes in the song, he cracks. The tape stops and starts rewinding. The instrumental begins again, and so does Michael. very same climax, the very same thing happened. This time it was apparent, and Michael ran out of the studio in tears. Bruce Wittian rushes to Michael's private room, and assisting engineer Brad Sundberg started making some calls. Bruce consoled Michael, and they knew they had to start again, and get it done as soon as possible. Brad called in the musicians to re-record the entire song in a lower key, which they did within just a few hours. A rough instrumental mix was compiled, and Michael was standing back in the recording booth. This is what followed. The Dangerous album was released on November 26, 1991. It had come a long way from a greatest hits album with just a couple of bonuses 
to 14 tracks culled from 40 produced throughout a three-year period. Nine of the songs were singles, with six hitting number one on various charts around the world, along with the album. Its new Jack Swing sounds established a trend in music as something that had previously been thought of as a fad, while the rest added to Michael Jackson's near-perfect music catalogue. Three of the outtakes would be compiled into 1997's Blood on the Dance Floor History in the Mix album, with the album and title track also hitting number one. To promote the upcoming Dangerous World tour beginning in 1992, another track that had just missed the cut was Resurrected. Someone Put Your Hand Out was issued as part of a Pepsi competition. If fans collected enough tokens, they could submit them for a 5-inch CD containing the track. Half a million in total were manufactured. I'm so Originally worked on during the early bad sessions in 1986, Michael had decided to rewrite it for consideration, with a big enough addition from Teddy Riley to justify a writing credit. I wrote it originally years ago, then uh, poured it out, and uh, Teddy loved it, I loved it, and we made some changes. The original Someone Put Your Hand Down was acoustic guitar driven, in front of a scattered beat with some light synths backing up. It sounded next to nothing like the released version, with exception of the chorus and some synthesized strings during the instrumental bridge. The new version, however, its lyrics are some of Michael's best, arguably more so than what ended up being on the album itself. It delivers what he does best, vulnerability wrapped in charming naivety accentuated with a more than fitting vocal performance. It was a departure from the usual collaboration between the artist and its apted producer. While touring the world for over a year, in August of 1993, Michael Jackson was being investigated after allegations of child molestation were made. In spite of those allegations being made public, Michael continued to tour. During a stop in Russia, new collaborator and band member Brad Buxer was called into Michael's hotel room.
writing reflected his life at the time. No charming naivety, no concern for a hit, just total awareness of himself and that around him, and, for once, acknowledgement. This period of Michael Jackson's career represents the importance of collaboration. Having just emancipated himself from Quincy Jones, who had served as the primary producer for the last three albums, it was almost impossible to mention Michael's success without acknowledging Quincy. Nonetheless, Michael's development in his discography was driven by those he had around him. Does this mean he was only as good as his producer? Perhaps. But his producers were only as good as him as well. Thank you for listening to John Cameron's Musicology. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or sharing on social media.